and welcome to Press Church. My name is Sean Hoffman. We have our e-bulletins available online with links to our Connect form and website. You can access this by opening the camera app on your iPhone or Android device and pointing it at the QR code on the screen. If you are new with us today, we are so glad you have joined us. Please connect with us by going to presschurch.tv or by snapping the QR code with your device and clicking on the I'm New link. This is not a commitment to anything, but an opportunity for us to support you and thank you for joining us. Press Youth will not be meeting this Thursday. Instead, they'll be having a lock-in on July 30th and the 31st at our PAL campus. For more information and to fill out a permission slip, you can visit our website. Every Wednesday at noon, we release a midweek where the pastors discuss spiritual questions with each other. If you have any questions you would like them to dig into, please email us at info at presschurch.tv. If you'd like to join Press Church in making a difference in this community, there are four ways you can support us financially. If you are visiting a campus in person, there is a box by the back exit of the worship center where you can drop your support as you leave. If you would prefer to send a check, please send it to 8794 Big Bear Avenue, Powell, Ohio, 43065. The easiest way to give is by visiting our website or texting any amount to the number 84321. Let's celebrate everything God has given us and support the community both locally and globally. Now let's prepare to engage what God has for us today. Hey. Skipping, how are we doing? If you're new with us today, thank you so much for being here as well. If you're watching for the first time online or if you're watching us online, thanks for joining us as well. We have a treat today. Uh, we have a guest speaker today. And what was funny about that is before service when we were practicing, when I said that, everyone's like, woo, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, if I say that and everybody in the audience is like, yeah, guest speaker, I'm be like, man, they really don't want me to talk. But you guys didn't. I didn't really give you much room, though. I, I said it real quick, and I was like, I'm going to interject real quick. Now, we have a guest speaker today, and I, I'm really excited uh, today. Uh, John Atkinson is going to be speaking with us today. If you don't know John Atkinson, uh, he was the lead pastor for Gateway Community Church. Uh, it's a church that we've uh, been in the process of merging with over this last year and a half. And um, I, I try to speak very highly of John. John has been great, both John and Jen. Jen is here somewhere. Your whole family, uh, the whole Atkins family, has been great through this process. Uh, if you don't know, a lot of times when churches merge, it can get ugly. It cannot be good. You lose a lot of people. Like, it's very negative. And it has been such a blessing to see how God has blessed this transition, how God has blessed this, you know, the process of merging. And a lot of it is due to the leadership of both John and his wife, Jen, and the fact that they're still here, they're still involved, they're still a part of this community. And I think it speaks very highly of their character and who they are as people. And it's also evident in, in the people that were at Gateway. So if you were at Gateway and now consider yourself a member here at Press, uh, we appreciate you, we value you, and it's been so great to see how God has used this and continued his mission, uh, what he's doing here in Powell, and beyond. So as we welcome John, let's all give him a big round of applause and, and just be open um, to what God has to speak through him to you today. So have fun, John. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate it. 
Hello, everyone. It's great to be back up here. I haven't done this in a while, and I pretty much forgot how to do it, so sorry. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you know any control freaks in your life? Now, I'm sure that none of you in this room are control freaks. So I ask you, do you know any control freaks in your life, right, who want to control things all the time? Now, if you are a control freak, you're probably thinking, I don't like that word. That's so pejorative. That's not it. I just know how everything's supposed to be, and I can help other people know how it's supposed to be, too. I make life work for everyone, right? Right? That's what control freaks do. Now, right now, there are, there are wives doing this to their husbands, and there are husbands who would never do that to their wives who are control freaks, so they'll be dead, right? Now, all of us have some areas in our life where we like to be in control, and we have to be in control. Things that you, uh, responsibilities you've been given. It's your job to make sure this happens. It's your job to make this thing work, and that's appropriate, right? Responsibilities that need to be taken care of. That's no big deal. But control freaks, it's a little different. Have trouble maybe listening to other people's ideas or learning from them just because it's not how they would approach it or think about it. Sometimes uh, you, you could start to place value judgments on other people because this is the way you would do it versus this is the way they're doing it, even though it may work. It's hard for you to see outside that box. We've all seen helicopter parents, right, who are all over their children all the time, never give them any space, every word, every act. The kid can't breathe or grow or learn or do their own homework. There was an article recently that said 8% of recent college graduates take a parent to their first job interview. I'm guessing those interviews don't go well unless the parent's really good interview, you know what I'm saying? When you control someone also, when, when that's part of who you are, it also doesn't lead to healthy relationships. Because there's a truth, intimacy and control are inversely proportional. Intimacy and control are inversely proportional. Now the person who's in control doesn't ever see this because they're prevailing. They own the domain. They get their way. So in their mind, the relationship is great. But the other person may not be thriving, may not feel like they have a voice. There's all sorts of issues about control. So we're going to unpack this a little bit first and how it affects us. And then we're going to unpack, unpack what God has to say to us about this issue. And what he's calling us to do and be. Now, I know a couple of people in our lives who I can honestly say they try to control their kids from cradle to grave. One of them is a very close friend of ours um, who is very rigid in their thinking. This is the right way to do things, and this is the way other people do them, right? That's the specific idea. She has twin daughters. The eldest got married, ended up having a child, and moved to Texas, they were in California. So of course the wife said to the husband, we have to get rid of our jobs, sell everything, and move to Texas and be within a mile of where they're living so we can be a part of what's going on there. Well, the daughter and son-in-law had to have a very hard conversation. 
And they said, we don't want you living here. We don't want you living in the same state as us. That's very hard. And they said something even harder. You're not a safe person for us. Control doesn't always work, especially in real relationships. We have a family member like that, controlling, always trying to come up with plans for everyone else's lives. He pulled our son, Peter, aside a couple of years ago and tried to give him a life path for him to follow. Now, the one thing he didn't do, and if you know my son Peter, you've got to do this. He never asked him any questions. He never asked him who he really was, what he th- thinks about, what, what his experiences were. And he's done that with his kids, and they're distant from him. They don't seek his advice. It's too much. They can't be their own person and thrive because he's always on top of them. He thinks his job as a parent is to guide and direct their lives, but there comes a point where it has to be mutual, where the kids have to make some decisions on their own. We do guide and direct, but hopefully we're guiding and directing them by helping them learn how to find wisdom, how to develop their character, not to control it at every step. Now, most of us like to have a sense of control, to know what's around the corner, what's coming up next, but we can't always know. So we're going to talk about an issue that God calls us to, and it's a word that we don't like and we don't use, and it's choosing surrender over control. Now, if you're competitive, the word surrender, you hate that idea. We've learned it in our culture, never surrender, never surrender, never surrender. It's probably not the best word to use to describe what we're really talking about here, but it's the, it's the English word that we have for this concept. But the idea is that we're not constantly fighting God for control. And that we learn at some point in our lives to say, I don't know. I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not great enough. Not great enough to be uh, to, to experience things and do things, but ultimately what we were created to be and do is in a faith relationship with God. And that requires a level of humility and openness and teachableness and spiritual challenge. So Proverbs 3, 5-6, through 6, this is the passage we're going to focus on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Now that word really can get our goat. Submit, surrender, never surrender. We hear that all the time. It made me think of one of my favorite Monty Python movies. This ages me. I know many of you have not watched Monty Python. But there's this skit in it uh, where these two knights are getting ready to fight. Right? One of them is guarding a passageway. The other one has to get through. And they have this battle. And the knight cuts one, the, the, the guard who's trying to stop him from getting through. The, the, knight, the knight who's trying to get through, he cuts one of his arms off. And then he starts to walk away as though he's won. And the guy says, come back. I still have one arm, right? And they come back and they fight some more and he takes the other guy's arm off and he starts to walk away. He goes, you coward, come back. I still have my legs, right? And he tries to kick him and anyway, 
it keeps going on like that. You know, finally he's trying to bite him to death. <laughs> Never surrender. But think of it this way. What if you're fighting a battle for a really bad reason? What if your combatant is really not your enemy? We want control. But what if what we're really fighting is the one who could give us the things that we want to get out of our own control? We like to control things because we think we can control our joy and our peace and our hope and our purpose and our security and our self-image and our self-confidence and our happiness. But in the end, those are things we were created to experience when our spiritual life is full in a relationship with the God who created us. So our control doesn't ultimately get us there. It's hard for us to imagine there's someone else who wants that for us and can provide it. But your combatant really isn't your enemy. Imagine being in a battle. Let's say you're battling for someone terrible. You're, you're in the army of Hitler, and you get surrounded by your enemies, so to speak, and it, you all put down your arms expecting to be killed, and instead, you take your prisoner, and they go, we're going to take you back, and by the way, we're going to completely re rebuild your economy. We're going to get rid of your dictator. We're going to get rid of the genocide and the things that are destroying your culture, and we're going to try and rebuild you from the ground up. That's not a bad surrender, is it? To go from something awful to something good. See, God is not ready to surround us so he can destroy us, which he could easily. That's not his goal. His goal is for us to surrender the things that are keeping us from what we were created from keeping us for the things our souls and hearts are thirsty for. He wants us to give up control so that we can have those things we think we can get ourselves, but that we were created to only have in a relationship with him. See, when we do battle with God, our plans and our control are always fighting faith and trust in what we were created for. God calls us to a healthy surrender. God calls us to a healthy surrender. Surrender to what's good over what's yours. Our natural tendency is we think if it's mine, if it's my idea, if it's my thought, if it's my viewpoint, if it's my experience, I've got to hold it, I've got to defend it, I can't ever let it go. But what if we're able to surrender some of to what's good over what's yours. Surrender to what you were created for over the person you want to put forth. We all have a persona we'd like to be seen as or ways that we engage people. And sometimes they're false. Sometimes they're manipulative. Sometimes they're protective. Some of them are wise, but some of them are just saying, I want to be this and be seen like this. But what if we allowed our character and personality to be driven and built by what we were created for, not just how we want to be seen? Surrender your plans to prevail so that God's plans will prevail. Surrender your plans to prevail 
so that God's plan will prevail. Because when God, God's plan prevails, that's good for everybody and better for you. If your plan prevailed, it's not going to be as good as you think it is. If God's plan prevails, it's going to be a thousand times better than you could have imagined. See, this is a surrender that leads to peace, restoration, and fullness. This is a surrender that leads to peace, restoration, and fullness. There are things, and these are things, that our control cannot give us. This is the purview of God. This is the purview of a healthy, alive, and thriving spiritual life. Not being perfect, not never failing, not never having sin in your life. That's not going to happen. But knowing what grace is in the midst of it, knowing what mercy is in the midst of it, knowing that God's mercies are new every morning when you experience it, knowing that the Holy Spirit can work inside you even when you stumble and fail and you have your own weaknesses and own tendencies. Now that is peace and restoration and fullness. <coughs> this is such a key issue of faith, setting aside our battle, our control, and trusting God. One of the powerful examples we see of this and of this struggle is in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham is called by God to take his family, Sarah, his wife, to leave where he was and to go to someone he had, somewhere he had never been. Now, Abraham is not somebody with a long religious history where he understands who God is. Abraham is almost certainly someone who worships multiple gods when God speaks to him. So he trusts and he leaves. But in the midst of that, he starts to hit some tough times. And when he hits those tough times, he's like, I got to take control. One instance, they go into a city and the king sees, you know, uh, Abraham is a, is a fairly powerful, wealthy man. He's got an entourage with him, um, a large group. He's a nomad, but that didn't mean in this period of time that you were uh, poor or poverty stricken. And... Um, the king of the city sees his wife, Sarah, and thinks, she's hot. I like that woman. Hey, who's that girl with you? And Abraham gets scared. He's like, oh my gosh, I don't have an army. I mean, I was a powerful man as a nomad, but here I am. I'm here with a city, with sitting army and walls. And, and he's like, uh, she's my sister. You interested? Literally. To protect himself, he offers up his wife. Now, this doesn't come to fruition because the king realizes who she is and says, what are you doing? <laughs> then they've been waiting years and years for an offspring that God had promised them. They would have an offspring and that offspring would become a great nation. So they wait and they wait and they wait. And one of the truths of following God and the issues of control is that God does not always work in our time. He just does not. Right? And there may be things we feel like God should do or work out or fix, and God does not work in our time. So they're getting sick of it. They're losing patience. Finally, Sarah says to Abram, look, you got your servant Hagar over there. Go in, sleep with her. She'll be the surrogate. We'll have the baby that God promised us done. Now, it sounds weird to us, but that was not an uncommon thing to happen during this period of time in this culture. People of this culture who read that story would be going, mm, oh, yeah, we've seen that and understand perfectly, right? We get it. So that happens. And um, Ishmael is born through Hagar. 
And then tensions arise between Sarah and Hagar. Go figure. Right? Who would have thought? And then eventually Sarah gives birth to Isaac, the son that God promised. And Sarah becomes very tense about this other wife and son running around. And she goes to Abraham and says, get rid of them. They got to go. I don't don't want this rival happening in my house. (coughs) That's what happens when we try to control everything. We don't have that kind of ultimate wisdom. And when we start forgetting who God is and what God has called us to be and, and the heart and the wisdom we're supposed to have. And this led Isaac to become a great nation and Ishmael to become a great nation. But it also led to strife and violence and pain. You know, as humans, we like to think we know things, right? We're 22nd century human beings. We've seen so many things happen in our world, so many advances. Figuring out how to harness the power of the, of the atom and split it and use that power, using binary code to develop languages that control so many things that we look at and we don't see what's actually going on underneath in these, these computers. Mapping human DNA and being able to identify certain strands and physical traits within a tiny strand of DNA. We like to be in the know and to feel like we're in the know. And sometimes we think, well, we're 22nd century American, you know, um, humans. So many advances. We're so far beyond what everyone else was. The truth is, let's take Abraham and let's take us. Guess what? Same insecurity. Same fears. Same frustration. Same struggles. Same arthritis in their knees. Hey, I'm just saying. For the over 50 crowd, by the way, those for you people. It's always going to be that way. Even if our world goes on for another billion years and humans grow in knowledge and we eradicate certain diseases and we learn to tap into the vast unused resources of the human brain and we become all become brainiacs. Even if all that happens, there's still going to be things we can't control You know, when Jesus teaches, one of the things he's teaching us is learn not to lean on your own understanding. Learn not to lean on your own understanding. So how does he do this? Jesus is constantly turning our truths and understanding upside down. Constantly turning our truths and understanding upside down. You want to fight to be on top, to be the top dog? Stop trying to get ahead of everyone else. How's that? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If you believe that, I'm guessing you won't be leaning on your own understanding. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's the greatest among us? Well, it's obvious to Jesus, the greatest servant. Why don't you become a servant first? Then worry about being great later. You want to accumulate wealth and riches? Be rich toward God first, because that matters more. My guess is if you believe that, you won't be leaning on your own understanding. Whoever wants to save his life must lose it for my sake, 
and the sake of the gospel. Uh, what? Jesus said those things, and he lived them. We accumulate a way of thinking from the world we live in. But God's truth is invasive. It's radical. It's an overthrow. It's a complete rebellion to our own understanding. Now, a lot of people hate that. They feel like faith is supposed to be a controlled part of my life. I know what my faith is. This is how I want to use it. This is how I want it to be used. This is the part of my life I want it to be a part of, and this is the part of my life I don't want it to be part of, right? And we control it, and it's here, and that's... Now, that's not surrender. That's not trusting the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding and submitting or surrendering to him. It's the opposite of it. When we just take our faith and we box it in over here and we box it in. And we have a tendency not to really ever experience that kind of trust or surrender. We tend to baptize our ideas. We sort of make it sound like our plans are really God's plans. Our ideas are really God's ideas. And we sort of think that if we do these few things, we go to church and we do a few of these moral things and we avoid these really awful, terrible things right here, everything's fine. Let me say what God is calling us to. I mean, those are good. Those aren't bad, Right? I'm not, I'm not putting that down. But we need to, if we really want to understand what it means to know who Jesus is, what we were created for, we need to know a little bit more. God is calling us to transformation, not a few religious actions. Transformation, not a few religious actions. And if you're going to be transformed, you're going to have to let go of some stuff. That's what God wants to do. He wants to transform you. Does that mean I'm going to become a super Christian? Probably not. Does that mean you might become more humble, more compassionate, more wise, more full of grace, have a deeper sense of your identity and your self-worth as created as a child of God? Hope so. That's where we're headed here. We're not headed to make you a big Bible Christian, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We walk around with a big thing. We show it to everyone. We got all the bumper stickers. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having a transformation in your heart and your mind. I mean, I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but just saying that that's the idea that people get. So what do we need to have transformed? A renewed mind that sees the world and people and ourselves through his eyes, not our own. A renewed mind. How we think about ourselves, how we think about our world, and how we think about others. An example might be that we always justify our actions and we never repent and acknowledge when we're wrong. But when we have a renewed mind, we know we probably are going to be wrong sometimes. We might need to learn from some things. We might need to be convicted of some things. A renewed heart that has compassion, wisdom, and a sense of justice, not just judgmental morality. A renewed heart that has compassion, wisdom, and a sense of justice. That's what Jesus was fighting all along. The Pharisees, judgmental morality, judgmental morality, judgmental morality, judgmental morality. Look at that woman touching your feet. You know what she's done? 
Don't let her touch her feet. She's evil. Jesus, of course, is like, yeah, we're all, you're all evil, so shut up. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got it. How about compassion? An example of this might be being cold-hearted toward the poor and those who have experienced injustice. That's bothering me more than just about anything in the Christian world right now. I can't, I just can't, can't believe it. I, I just can't believe it. You know, when, when Peter has this big battle with the Jerusalem, I'm Paul, I'm sorry, Paul from Antioch and Barnabas, they have this big battle with Peter and James and John in Jerusalem in the book of Galatians, over what the gospel's going to be and what they're going to expect. And they end up wrangling over it because the Jerusalem church is tending to be very legalistic, and Paul is going out and he's talking to people who've never heard anything, and he's explaining to them the gospel, and they're building churches, but they're not following all these tiny little rules. So they have this kind of battle. I mean, Paul even says, I went up and confronted Cephas, that's Peter, to his face. You know, that's pretty, pretty strong words. When they did this, so they got it all worked out, because that happens, right? You gotta work stuff out. They got, and just remember this, and do this. You, you wanna know the sentence that they say? We agreed that they don't, that people don't have to do all these little things. They don't have to do a ceremony wash. They don't have to do all this stuff. They don't have to get circumcised as adults, blah, blah, blah. But he says, but the one thing we all agreed on, you know what it was? Remember the poor. Can you remember the last time I heard a Christian say that? Why? I mean, the Bible's clearly saying it. Do one thing. And, it, and Paul says, the very thing we were anxious to do. Remember the poor. So a renewed heart that has compassion, a refreshed soul that has a renewed vision for life and purpose. An example of this might be placing our hopes and having a strong desire to see God's love and grace poured out on the people of this world that we live in even people we may disagree with. We may not like how they think or how they act or how they talk. To see God's grace and love and mercy poured out on them. A renewed vision, a renewed soul, a renewed purpose. We're transformed when we surrender to God. If we just control our faith and keep it here and here, we're not being really, we might have a few good ideas, but we're not going to be really transformed. The way we think, what's going on in our hearts, the purpose that drives our soul. So there's a choice before us. God is calling us to trust in him ways, to trust in his whole heart. God is calling us to a healthy surrender to him. And the promise at the end of this passage, and he will make your path straight. I think we... I don't need to tell you the Hebrew for that. I think you're going to know what that means. It's going to give you a life that's moving in the right direction. Not wandering, not rocky, not tripping all over the place. A purpose, a place to go, a thing to do, an impact to have. A life that does not wander, that has a focal point. A lot of lives have a focal point, but not always one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you for the chance to gather as your church to hear the wisdom of your word. Father, we pray 
even though you know our tendencies, how tough it is to let things go. But we can let go because you're not here to rip it away from us. You're here to graciously, lovingly guide us into what it means to trust you more every day. But we also have to know that ultimately surrender is part of the experience, is part of the call, is part of what it means to be your child. Help us to know the glory of that and the beauty of it and the freedom of it and the strength of it and the blessings of it. And and to know that it doesn't make us less. It makes us more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.